We commence today's show talking politics with the editorial director and publisher of The Nation magazine, our friend Katrina Vanden Heuvel. Katrina, how are you today? Thank you, Tavis. Uh, not enough news happening. Yeah. <laughs> as you know. Another quiet Monday. Yeah. The week. As you know, in this business, it's either, in our business, it's either feast or famine. Some days nothing's it's happening. True. And other days too much is happening. And today is one of those too much is happening days. Let me jump right in and make the most of our hour here. As I mentioned a moment ago, we're going to we're gonna drill down more on this in our second hour for the entire hour. Uh, but I cannot start today's conversation without, uh, of course, getting your, uh, retaking your temperature on this news that uh, the president, in a historic move, is going to uh, appear uh, in Detroit tomorrow um, to uh, to uh, uh, join the picket line with these workers. What, what's, what's your read of that? Oh, I, I mean, I think it's historic. Uh, it's symbolic, but sim- symbolism is power. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, there's been, as you know, you you mentioned, you've been talking about it last week. We, of course, at the nation, had been urging. The president to take this step. What's most important, though, Tavis, is that Biden, in his in the quiet ways, has put through some really serious, important pro labor uh, personnel mm-hmm. and changes to, for example, the National Labor Relations Board uh, actions. And it's that framework into which he walks, so that it's not just, you know. Nothing. Mm -hmm. But I I think it's also important at this point, 75 percent of Americans side with striking UAW numbers. That's really a powerful number. It may change. Strikes get more complicated as they go on. But I think that's a very powerful number. And I think it's the case in many instances, even though Republicans and Democrats have not been siding with labor. But uh, Republicans, if they have a return on investment when they give money, to candidates, it's uh, lower taxes, deregulation, and fighting unions, anti-union. Mm-hmm. So I think we're in an interesting time in this country's history, uh, where you know we've seen Democrats not really stand with labor, but it's it's more, it's it's happening in a resurgence. Uh, on, on the other hand, when you look at the numbers, I think it's some nine or ten percent of private industries unionized. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a tough landscape, but it's been a very interesting one this past summer and, and heading into the fall. Yep. Let me ask you right quick and we'll move forward here. Um, Donald Trump uh, put a big statement out, I guess, this morning. I saw it this morning on his true social and he went in on Joe Biden. And, and th- I don't want to even take time to read it. But the essence, <laughs> the, the essence of his comment, uh, his commentary uh, on true social uh, is that he came out first and said he was going to Detroit. Uh, and had he not done that, Joe Biden would not be going to Detroit. I, I sort of echoed that uh, uh, last week on this program. I was troubled by the fact that I thought at the moment, at least, he was allowing himself to be outmaneuvered by Donald Trump. And I couldn't right. understand why he was taking so long to make this decision and why he pulled his team back. The, the White House, you know, with no, no officials were actually going to Detroit. They were negotiating from Washington, all the stuff, you know. So my, my, my quick question is whether or not. Uh, he was outmaneuvered by Trump, or whether that's much ado about nothing at this point now that he's going tomorrow. Listen, I don't think he was outmaneuvered, and I think a lot of working people are seen through Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. Talks a good game, talks about factory jobs coming back, but it, is it the case? It's not 2016 when, in fact, he did woo labor effectively. I think Biden moves too slowly sometimes, but I don't think uh, that's the essence of the story right now. Okay. Point well taken. Uh, he does move slowly, but uh, they say uh, better late than never, I guess. He will be on the picket line tomorrow. Historic move. 
to see a president walking the picket line with striking workers, in this case, the UAW. Just getting started in this hour, talking politics, and there's a whole lot to drill uh, down into with Katrina Vanden Heuvel, editorial director and publisher of The Nation magazine, who you're listening to right now on Tavis Smiley. More of Tavis Smiley when we come forward. Applications. Ready to re-examine your assumptions and expand your inventory of ideas? More of Tavis Smiley coming your way right now. Hey, Katrina Vandenhuvel, before I move on, um, you made a comment a moment ago or moments ago uh, about the fact, and you're right about this, that there is uh, a narrative uh, that underscores that at times even Democrats have not stood with labor. Uh, Joe Biden is long, you know, uh, touted and bragged about the fact he's the best president labor's had in a long time, maybe back to FDR. Um, but 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 this this comment you made didn't slide past me. I'm sure it didn't slide past our audience uh, that even though Democrats uh, frame the conversation or put themselves forward as being friends of labor, they haven't always stood there. No, they haven't. And they have had opportunities when you had majorities in the House and the Senate to pass pro-labor legislation, uh, card check, uh, pro-act was passed under Biden. But, you know, Jimmy Carter presided over deregulation, which hurt labor. Mm-hmm. Clinton was someone who was like new Democrat. Uh, they didn't do what Reagan did, which was break the back of the air controllers. I mean, not as far as that, but they did not stand with labor, partly because the Democratic Party, Tavis, you know, this is divided. I mean, mm-hmm. there's an insurgent force. There's a more progressive force. There's a force that sides with workers, and there's a side that takes uh, a side with corporate power. And I think that's a fa- factionalism, factionalism that continues. Yeah. But I do think Biden has uh, proved, you know, there's more to do, but he's doing uh, what he can do in this time. Again, pushed, though, by outside, by the movement of yeah. our time and the resurgence of labor's identity. So that's important, too. You can't... Listen, Roosevelt was passed some of the uh, foundational legislation for the labor movement, but he had to be, uh, you know, go out. Don't just tell me to do it. Go yeah. out and make me do it. Nope. I've said, I've said many times that great presidents aren't born, they're made, and uh, they have to be pushed into their greatness. And left to their own devices, they end up being just garden variety politicians, right? If you don't push them into their you greatness, know, and Joe Biden absolutely. had to get pushed this time around, yeah. So October 11th in New York City is a marker of the 100th anniversary of the Triangle Shirtwaist mm-hmm. Fire, when uh, almost 100 young women immigrants uh, died in the fire because the employers kept the doors locked. It took uh, Frances Perkins, the first woman labor secretary under Roosevelt, to really put in place some of the regulations which protect people. Elizabeth Warren came and spoke there during her campaign. But that took you know, people who knew the inside. You need the allies inside the people in the streets. Mm-hmm. The, the UAW, um, up, up until this present moment, uh, as you know, has not endorsed Joe Biden. I don't know to what extent uh, that reality uh, pushed him to get to Detroit tomorrow to be on this picket line. And I'm not so sure there's any, any chance they would endorse Donald Trump. But there are others who are running, Cornell West and others who are out there running uh, for the presidency. I, I raise that only because uh, I'm curious as to how you read the fact that up until this present moment, they have not, UAW, has not endorsed Joe Biden for re-election. 
So I think that's a really important question. Uh, you have also not just a new labor movement, but you have new labor leaders. And Sean Fain of the UAW is a more radical labor leader than some. They're different forces. And I think he understands that he has leverage mm. now because he has not endorsed. There's not good blood about this. You can imagine the White House is like, what? Uh, I assume he will. But I'll tell you, the, you know, the labor movement is also progressive and pragmatic. Uh, and they want to not just bread and butter, but, you know, they want to see more power in the in labor movement's uh, house. Mm -hmm. So that's partly what the back and forth is. And I do think the insurgent forces of those candidates you mentioned, the three, Marianne Williamson and uh, Cornell West and Bobby Kennedy Jr., mm -hmm. who isn't as strong on labor, I don't think, um, you know, I don't think the labor movement is going to ally with them, not the big ones, because they don't see a road forward mm -hmm. in the electoral process at this moment. But they're certainly going to push Biden as far as they can. Yep. And there are limits. We, yeah. Yep. Now, the, the other issue you raised I want to get to right quick is um, sure. the, the, the poll data that you cited, which I have seen, uh, that over 70 percent of Americans side with the UAW strikers. Over 70 percent of Americans side with him. Yeah. That's a that's a huge number, huge. particularly in a moment where we can't seem to agree on anything in this country to get anything right. above 50 percent, much less 70 percent uh, and above uh, in agreement with these striking workers is a big freaking deal. How do you read that in this moment? You know, I read it as more top-down than left-right at mm. its best, because I think what you're seeing are people who understand that, you know, the auto companies were in a bad place, and uh, labor gave some uh, concessions, but also that, you know, you look at the compensation. You're talking millions and millions of dollars. Uh, you know, it used to be that the uh, difference between what a worker made and a CEO was like 61 to 1. It's now like 350 to 1. Mm -hmm. So there's a sense that we need, a, you know, we're not talking revolution here. I don't think the UAW is, you know, in that spirit. But it's a level playing field, which is uh, all American. And so finding a way to recoup some of the, what they gave up, the auto companies, a decade ago, seems fairness. And I think that is part of the American character. Now, listen, labor unions are flawed. Mm -hmm. There is, you know, lack of democracy often, but there is, it's a vehicle in this country's kind of reform of social democracy mm -hmm. to uh, build some equality. Yep. So, so, so the numbers are what they are. Over 70% of Americans support right. these striking workers. Again, the numbers are the numbers. The numbers don't lie. And yet I'm wondering right. how your, your prior comment notwithstanding, I'm wondering how, and I'm trying to imagine ways in which Donald Trump will manipulate, will, will exploit that kind of economic populism. He's done a good job. You know that, Tavis. Yeah. I mean, he's, he, and he plays it well. It's smart in a way, though it seems to me not fully participating in our system that he's not doing the debates and he's, but I do think it's different than 2016. I, you know, part of the reason his polls seem, do seem strong mm -hmm. is the barrenness. I mean, there are no candidates touching him right now. Right. I mean, no one's kind of, uh, made it, made a deal with the American people. But if you look at all the promises, there's so many broken ones, there are many, you know, and then the media piece, uh, Tavis is part of this. They are. They, I think there's a media malpractice, which we've talked about. Media malpractice in the 
uh, coverage of Trump. I mean, the meet the press stuff. I'm not talking about his own media, Mm -hmm. but meet the press or even Fox, but meet the press interview with him was, you know, kind of what it would like. He rolled over the anchor. Mm -hmm. And I, I think the tough, tough scrutiny questions get you to a point. They, I'm not idealistic about it, but I think it's important. So I think there are a lot of ways to uh, expose Donald Trump's kind of half-assed, sorry, uh, relationship with the uh, labor movement. I mean, I saw I saw Jimmy Hoffa Jr. this mm-hmm. past weekend. Don't ask me why, <laughs> but you know, he had had some talks with. He's not there anymore, but mm-hmm. he had had talks with Teamsters who voted for Trump last go round, mm-hmm. and there's some of them interested in like Bobby Kennedy Jr. He's, you know, not not Trump. Yeah. They're moving out of there, but they'll, he thinks they'll vote for Biden in the end because they, again, understand, you know, they have needs, and it's not clear an insurgent force like Bobby Kennedy Jr. is going to provide that. Let, so. let, 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 let me probe that for a second. I was with, uh, I, was, I was talking to Cornel West uh, about this issue not long ago, and I want to just get your read on this. Sure. So, so when you have a moment like this, and this is not unique in that there are other moments where a third-party candidate tried to raise up, and he got smacked down. So this is not the first time we've, we've, we've sent the first rodeo. Sure. But, but it seems to me, and, and again, I want to really probe this with you. It seems to me that so long as everybody inside says that now is not the time for a third-party insurgency— now is not the moment for that. We, the, the stakes are too high. Well, you can make that argument perennially. Uh, and in yeah. that regard, as people get more and more disappointed with both the left and the right, with Democrats and Republicans, that argument is starting to ring hollow with me. I, I'm not stuck on stupid. I get the point that we do not want to do anything that gives Donald Trump an entree back to the White House. I get it. But I'm trying to I'm, I'm trying to drill a little deeper, Katrina. If that's the argument, that argument will always be made that the stakes are too high and you will never have another choice in this country. And, I, and I'm not sure I like that idea. I agree. Listen, I agree with you. It doesn't seem American. But let me give you three ways to sure. think about it. Give it to um, me. W- w- Ralph Nader. Ralph Nader wrote his first article for The Nation in 1959 on safe cars you can't buy. Mm. He ran, as you know, 2000 again in 2004. In 2000, the magazine The Nation was divided between supporters of Nader and Gore. Uh, we had a Molly Ivins rule. She was a great Texas writer. Like Loved if you her. lived in Loved a state, yeah. if you lived in a state where the electoral college didn't matter, vote your heart. Mm-hmm. If you didn't, you know, vote your conscience. Um, that is primitive, but I do think we need serious reforms. Not too many, but a few before we can have a real national third party that doesn't become the S word spoiler. Mm-hmm. Electoral college reform, which was close, then Trump kind of came in. But we we need you know things that will move third parties in a serious way. Third parties at the local level or the state level, something to look at. I mean, or a third force like a fusion party, the Working Families Party in New York City has played a good role. Mm-hmm. Um, we have an article in the Nation about the need for an insurgent force, which is bringing together the movements and the issues. But I do worry that um, it, it is it is. I want someday to be able and not just, you know, to vote for someone I value, not just because 
better, you know, the lesser, lesser two, two evils. evils. Yeah, exactly. I, I don't, I don't, I don't like that frame, and I don't like, I and I don't like being regarded as the devil incarnate because I want to support somebody who may not be one of the two major, you know, uh, nominees for the two for the two party system. As I if, agree. as if I don't have a right to 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 to, to use my vote the way I want to use it in a way that I think betters our totally. democracy. But if you do that, then everybody calls you the bad guy. Cornell West is the bad guy. Wrong. Bobby Kennedy's the bad guy. All their supporters are bad people. I don't like that frame, Katrina. But you know what, Tavis, you're absolutely right. The demonization of third parties closes off conversation, leads people to think you're you know, a fool or dangerous. That is wrong. Mm-hmm. Listen, I think Bobby Kennedy Jr.'s uh, Thinking about vaccination, to me, it rings wrong, mm-hmm. to say the least. Sure. I think what he says about corporate power, I th- he, what he says about the world and how to engage the world, and others, Cornell does too, mm-hmm. is I'm closer to that than anything. But I still believe that if I, I, I haven't voted for someone I really admire. Well, I, I voted for Bernie, but he didn't move forward. Yeah. But I do, I do think... Um, I see Bobby Kennedy's foreign policy matters a lot to me. I don't understand how Biden is doing it pretty well at home, but the foreign policy to me is uh, kind of uh, policing the world when we should be rebuilding at home. I'm not an isolationist, but I think the world is not divided into autocracy and democracy. It's a much more complex yeah. I just, situation. I, yeah. So, there, But, you know, I'll tell you, the third-party person, <laughs> Eugene Debs, yeah. he did run for president from president. He got 2.3. Yeah. Uh, but you know, parole got nineteen percent. Sure, I just so think, you know with some money. Yeah, I, I just I just think the paradigm, the political paradigm, has shifted. Yep. And it's time to build a new construct. And I think that new construct has got to include other choices, not just the two that we're told if we don't choose from or select from, then it's bad for the democracy. I digress on that point. Let me ask you this, and I, I've got two minutes here now. We'll continue when we come forward. Uh, but since we're talking about government. Um, we're just days away from a possible government shutdown. Yeah. Let me ask you a big question. We'll unpack it when we come forward. But how are you reading this moment that has us on the precipice of another government shutdown? Well, those who will get hurt by it are the most vulnerable. And what is always despicable to watch is those who, why do those who hate government run run to be inside government? <laughs> good question. Good question. Yeah, good question. And I think that these fractious I hate to see freedom associated with their caucus. Mm-hmm. You know, they're in it for all kinds of reasons. The idea of freedom is not one. There is a hatred of government spending because they don't they see it as the alien. They don't see government and government has issues, but it often helps those who need help and it's you know, what are they they're not going after social security and medicare, mm-hmm. which is really the biggest part of the debt. They're doing symbolic ugly moves to shut down government. And then, as you know, there's the spin about who's going to lose that fight. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're going to work hard to try and see the Democrats lose. I don't think they'll work it. But it goes on too often. It's it's like madness, right? Insanity. It's like the repeat of what you you continue to do. Yeah. But it, it could be, you know, it could be um, a revolt that uh, what's it? You know, he he McCarthy doesn't seem to have control, and we saw him get elected right to the speakership. Didn't seem to have much control then, and uh, it's it's not a, it's not a healthy sign. Yeah, when we come forward, we'll talk more about uh, what's driving <clears throat> uh, what's driving this government. Uh, 
a potential government shutdown and whether Kevin McCarthy can figure out a way to pull back from the brink uh, and get these um, these uh, Republicans in line so as not to bring the government uh, to another standstill. And if, in fact, that does happen, is McCarthy going to pay a price the way that Newt Gingrich paid a price uh, okay. uh, years ago? Katrina sort of teed that up. We'll talk about that. We'll also talk about Robert Menendez. This story is amazing to me. I just I just shake my head. I mean, this guy was indicted like six years ago, right? Uh, and now he's been indicted again. Um, news just out now. He uh, has said today he will not step down. More and more Democrats are calling for Robert Menendez to step down. Step down. You don't want a story like this uh, around election season uh, that can be used to taint uh, and to 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 to, to target uh, and to tarnish other Democrats who are running for for high office. We'll talk about that. You may have heard the Hollywood Rider strike uh, is over. There's a tentative deal. We'll talk about that a bit. So a great deal more to cover with Katrina Vandenhuvel, the editorial director and publisher of the Nation magazine. When we come forward on Tavis Smiley. You're listening to Tavis Smiley, Tavis, Tavis Smiley, ranked number 45 on the heavy hundred list of the 100 most important radio talk show hosts in America. Who do you trust to get at the truth? Tavis Smiley. That's who. The conversation continues right now. Katrina Vanden, who was our guest in this hour, editorial director and publisher of The Nation magazine, always delighted to be in dialogue with her and hear her unique insights as the head of the nation magazine. Um, Katrina, we were talking about Kevin McCarthy and his Republicans before I move off of that right quick. Is there anything he can do at this point as we hurtle toward this government shutdown or is he at the mercy of these rabid Republicans in his caucus? Well, I think, you know, he could pass a few of the funding bills, but that's not going to deal with the real problem because what you have is, a, you know, over the last few years, a transformed ideological political landscape And these Republicans, fractious Republicans, are responding more to what's at home, the primaries, the money. So they don't feel inclusive in the Congress. So I think that's part of what's going on. Um, So I I don't know. I wouldn't bet anything right now. And I think then the big fight, as you've said, is the Gingrich fight, so to speak. Who's going to bear responsibility with the voters as we... And, no and, 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 and to your brilliant question, that's why you're the publisher of the magazine, The Nation, <laughs> uh, to that, to, to answer your own question, who, who will bear the brunt of this if, in fact, we see a shutdown? You know, as I said earlier, media plays a big role. The spin machines and the way the uh, Democrats respond, if they do so intelligently and speak to the you know needs of Americans. You know, the, the Biden thing is not just empty. I mean, you have a push for lower prescription drug costs, those kinds of things. And you get into the Social Security, Medicare piece of it, they're going to lose because underneath this sort of smaller package they're doing, as I said, those are the two drivers, Social Security, Medicare, and the hatred of government. So that's not going away anytime soon. And Trump, in his own way, has played that effectively. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, 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 I can't bet. I can't bet right now. Yeah. Uh, it's 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 going to be a it's going to be a short term fight, a mid term fight, and a long term fight. Yeah. That's all I you know. Let me, let me let me ask you a broader question since you sort of you know uh, uh, walked around the edges on this. Uh, let me come right to it. What 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 do you make of the debate uh, or not, uh, the conversation or not, and moreover, how we ought to have the conversation? about the proper role of government. I'm always prepared to, to engage in dialogue about government and what its proper role ought to be. Once again, I just don't like the frame that we find ourselves in every time when that topic comes up. Does that make sense? Makes total sense. I think, you know, government can be overbearing. Mm-hmm. Government can be distant. 
government can be bureaucratic, but at the same time, um, remember the Tea Party moment when the guy said, get government's hands off my Medicare? Mm-hmm. There's a There's been a morphing of thinking about government as something that is alien, and uh, people f- are fearful of it in some instances. But it, I think community uh, is part of government. I think government is what provides uh, the possibility, Tavis, that we could have lived in a country with half the poverty, three-quarters less of the poverty. We saw government playing a role in that. Mm -hmm. So I think you need to keep it specific, what government provides, what it doesn't. It shouldn't do everything, but it plays an enormous role. And I think we need to find a way to humanize it because the right has done a very smart job of uh, making it not just Reagan. Remember Reagan, you know, had his lines about government. Mm -hmm. But Bill Clinton, one of the first things he said when he took office was a kind of diss on government. Yeah. I'm, you know, I just think there has to be some connection that is not just about how dangerous it is, and I yeah. think that's played out a lot. Yeah, one of my favorite books. I mentioned it probably a couple weeks ago in another conversation. It just popped up in one dialogue, but I love the book that um, Mario Cuomo wrote years ago called "Reason to Believe." Uh, and, mm. I, and I think he made the best argument, laid it out brilliantly in this text about reason to believe in government and the way we ought to have a conversation about government's proper role. The way we're doing it right about now is asinine. I, I digress on that point, but I, I think there's a debate to be had about that, about that, um, about that reality moving forward in this country. Um, let me stay with Congress uh, since we're talking about Congress. Um, Robert Menendez, senator out of New Jersey. Huh? Sorry. She's, she's laughing already. She's laughing already. <laughs> this guy was indicted like six years ago. He's been indicted again. Oh now, six, years ago when he got indicted on the same kinds of allegations, basically taking bribes in exchange for exerting yeah. political influence. He's a Democrat, of course. He's the senior senator from the state of New Jersey, the Garden State. Uh, indicted right. years ago, he survived on a hung jury. Years later, he's been indicted again. And as I read the allegations from years ago and the the allegations this time around, these seem to be much worse, to my read at least, Uh, than the allegations um, the the first time around. But he he has said earlier today in his first public comment since the indictment that he is not going to resign. He will not step aside, you know, until all the facts come in. You know, I I believe I'll be exonerated. The typical line. Now, here's why I'm ambivalent about this. I'm ambivalent because I do believe that we live in a nation uh, where people are, in fact, and certainly should be presumed innocent unto proven guilty. So in that regard, I'm going to do process. Fundamental fairness, presumption of innocence. Uh, I've said that all along. So in that regard, I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt. On the other hand, when you've been indicted twice in a matter of years for the same kind of behavior, alleged behavior as a United States senator, I have issues with that. And because you're a Democrat, you and I both know Republicans are going to use this because he won't step aside to, 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 to just whipsaw. Uh, other so, Democrats uh, because of the behavior of Menendez. That's my read. That's not important. What's your take on it, Katrina? No, I, you know, I think, I think you're absolutely right. Um, listen, it's like, um, first of all, I think of Al Franken. Mm-hmm. Al, you know, he was out of there in 30 minutes because the Democratic team wasn't ready to give him due process That's right. for a trial. And, uh, you know, we're not going to talk about that right now, but I just think about it. Menendez, this is, these are far worse indictments. 
he was acting essentially as a foreign lobbyist. I mean, he was, you know, moving money to Egypt. I don't want to demonize countries, but just the process of being a senator. Are you a senator or are you a lobbyist? Mm -hmm. Are you bought by a government or are you independent and representing your constituency? And I don't think he was doing the job that he was elected to do. And I suspect, based on the senators who have said they want him to have a fair trial, I suspect he'll stay. He'll He's not going to move. But mm -hmm. I, I think he should be... Uh, you know, it, the court of law, in the in the court of law, he should find his, uh, you know, his find his ending. I will say that um, Andy Kim, Andy Kim, I think, has already announced he will be running. I think it does tarnish the Democratic Party as it moves toward a very difficult, difficult election. Of course, New Jersey state I went to school in is a complicated state. Yes. <laughs> and, you know, it might have more... Uh, how to put it, uh, alignment or f affection for Menendez. I don't know that. I, I do know that, and again, I care a lot about the world and America's engagement with the world. I was interviewing the Cuban president when the indictments came down. There was not much comment, but there was certainly a sense that someone who has played a role in keeping us from a more sane foreign policy with Cuba dialogue is also in trouble. So I just mm -hmm. raised that because Menendez is not just gold and, you know, refrigerator and money being slipped to Egypt, but it's a, it's a broader indictment of someone. Yep. Um, I'm wondering how this, um, those senators who are suggesting that he ought to be given a fair trial, I'm wondering uh, about the ways in which the Democrats in the Senate are compromised and, and may not be willing to push him out so quickly because of how tight the numbers are in the Senate. Uh, and yet New Jersey has a yeah. Democratic governor. I'm not sure if it works in New Jersey like it does in California. If he steps aside, whether the governor appoints some, I don't know how that works. But is there, any, is there anything to that issue that the Democrats are going to yeah. walk, walk gently on this because he's a Democrat and the numbers are so tight? Well, look at, you know, look at Senator Feinstein, too. I mean, that, that's where you would have a Democratic uh, of course. replacement, of course. Yeah. But that is always part of the consideration on the part of Democratic leadership. They need their majority. Mm -hmm. um, but in this case, uh, as I understand it, the governor of New Jersey, Phil Murphy, has the right to appoint a successor. Mm -hmm. If you, I don't know if you followed this, Tavis, but, for example, in, in Kentucky, where they have a Democratic governor of the state legislature has changed the rules. So mm -hmm. he has no power to appoint a successor. That mm -hmm. is not the case yep. here, but that is a serious consideration. And they've done Very that. transactional, but yep. our politics... Sure, and, they, and they've done that in Kentucky for all the obvious reasons, because Mitch McConnell keeps having these moments um, where he freezes in public, uh, and were he to have to step aside... Uh, a Democratic governor in Kentucky would do something uh, that Republicans wouldn't like. Uh, and so they stripped him of that power. It, it, politics is amazing to me. I, I've been covering it for years. But they, they see it in the in the offing, and they're like, we're going to stop this right now. So they just changed the rules in Kentucky. So the governor can't do that in the event that McConnell um, ends up having to step aside. Uh, I digress. More when we come forward with Katrina Vanden Heuvel on Tavis Smiley. Seeking the truth. The truth. Speaking the truth. This is the Tavis Smiley Show. Hard talk for curious people just like you. You're listening to Tavis Smiley. Katrina, before I talk uh, about the Hollywood writers' strike, yeah. which has now reached a tentative agreement with studios, um, a quick question, um, one final question on the, on the Senate we were talking about moments ago, given the 
conundrum, the dilemma that Robert Menendez yeah. now finds himself in. I saw a piece you wrote recently in The Nation about the fact that Democrats um, have to keep the Senate, have to keep the Senate, that is, at all yeah. costs. You want you want to unpack uh-huh. that for those who didn't hear that, didn't get a yeah, chance to read well, that column? It was, it was really a column about Sherrod Brown, a longtime progressive multiracial populist in a, in a state that's going increasingly red. Ohio. And I... Ohio, yeah. Ohio, J.D. Vance won the last round, uh, beating a pretty centrist Democrat. So it was in that context. Um, I, I think the Senate is going to be tough. I think the House less so. But I would, you know, I, I, that headline wasn't mine, okay? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was the Guardian. Uh, but I would have said, you know, this was a case of why, you know, let's let's do what we can to keep Ohio and Sherrod Brown's you're not going to get a better candidate than Sherrod Brown. But I, I don't think we can say uh, at all costs. Yep. I, I, I can't say that. Yeah. Yep. No, it's going to be. Because I think there are other things to do with, for uh, one second, I just think there's one more to do. We could do with the court, even if we don't have the Senate. But the court is obviously one of the reasons the Senate is important. But not at all costs. Yep. I'll take your point. Take your point. Um, Hollywood Writers' Strike. Um, this is breaking news last night. Of course, this, this program is heard across the country uh, in syndication, which I'm grateful for, but we're flagship yeah, here in Los Angeles. Thank you. appreciate that. We're flagship here in Los Angeles, and this is a big deal, um, not just because it's the Hollywood, you know, it's Hollywood, that's it's important, but because it makes a statement to me, uh, this conversation now comes full circle, about the power of unions when they flex. These writers pretty much got everything they demanded from these studios. That's like that's like almost unheard of, but they flexed, they flexed and they got what they they got what they demanded, Katrina. Absolutely. And I think you could tell that last night when they released the Writers Guild released a statement, but the uh, oligarchs of Hollywood were pretty quiet. Yeah. No, it, it's an, it, uh, and you know, I don't think a lot of Americans I mean, I've done some sports commentary on like football unions Mm -hmm. people don't understand that you need unions in hollywood you need unions in sports because not everyone is you know the star making six million dollars there's a real industry so i think that's important i think the actors uh the union is going to be a tougher fight Mm -hmm. uh but they have winded their back from the writers when um you know, but Iger saying, you know, that there might be a strategy to starve writers because they couldn't last. These mm-hmm. things, uh, I think, stiffen the spine. Yeah. I will say politically, never forget that <laughs> Ronald Reagan was head of the Actors go. Union exactly. for yeah. four terms. That's right. He was indeed. <laughs> and voted, voted for Roosevelt four times. Yeah. Uh, so. Strange, strange backstory to that, to that Ronald Reagan guy. Our remaining moments for Katrina Vandenhoover when we come forward on Tavis Smiley. Hope, agency, dignity. This is Tavis Smiley. Can you dig it? Come on! Let's get back to more of Tavis Smiley right now. Katrina, we're just, uh, you know, uh, uh, over a year out now. Um, as you know, we will, uh, a year from now, be in that, uh, that sprint between uh, Labor Day and Election Day. Yep. Uh, for the next president of these United States. Um, just asking a broad question as we wrap up our conversation with these, uh, again, two and a half, three minutes left. Um, h- how are you feeling at this point uh, uh, before we get to, to that moment where we head down the stretch? Uh, worried. Yeah. I feel worried. Um, Trump is no longer president, so the 24 race uh, can't be entirely about him. And I think there's an effort to make it about fear of Trump. Also, you know, fear, legitimate fear of 
women not having access, people not you know having access to to abortion rights. But um, you got inflate, you got gas prices, you got all of this, and they can hang it, the Trump people, more effectively around uh, the guy who's in office. Mm-hmm. So, but I do think um, I think you know Biden's going to you know he has to engage younger people, people of color. And I think we have to do in the media a careful, always careful auditing of what Trump is saying and what he's done. Um, You know, I didn't talk earlier, if I might just end by saying, you know, one of the reasons people are motivated or trained to hate government is race, Mm. you know, race. And it's uh, it's you think of how Reagan launched. We were talking about him as head of the Actors Guild, launched his campaign in Philadelphia, right, Mm -hmm. Mississippi. That's right. And there was there was a documentary on a few weeks ago. You could see and, you know, you could see Trump's the, the, the grandparents of Trump's voters. And I, you know, I don't think it's all about race because I think it's also about people left behind, people who are angry about deindustrialization. But there's certainly an element of race in the uh, hatred of government. And, you know, you mentioned Mario Cuomo. I would Asked people to read Jesse Jackson's great speech. Was it at 84, 88 Democratic Convention about people living paycheck to paycheck, cleaning your rooms, That's hotel right. rooms? That's right. There's a humanity that people have lost, I think, in the hardening of our country's tissues. Yeah. But there's a lot in the government showdown that is going to hurt people. Yeah. And we lose sight of that with all the talk. But yeah. anyway, uh, no, not I'm, you. I'm, I'm, I'm glad you raised it. Uh, I appreciate that. I'm glad you raised it because sometimes in, in talk radio, um, particularly, when you, particularly when you're as bright as Katrina Vandenhoeville is, we, we speak in shorthand sometimes. But let me just underscore right quick. The reason why she mentions Reagan in Philadelphia, Mississippi, that's where he announces his campaign for president. Um, he'd been governor of California for two terms. So you ask, why does a California governor go to Philadelphia, Mississippi right. to announce his campaign for president? Because that's where they killed Goodman, Schwerner and Cheney. And he wanted to give a nod to states' rights, make it abundantly clear on day one where he stood on these issues. And uh, on that day, I've never since that day, I've never forgiven Ronald Reagan Katrina for doing that. Right. It made it abundantly clear why I had no interest ever in this guy named Ronald Reagan to do something that low down uh, as I saw it, to go to Philadelphia where they murdered these three uh, civil rights workers to announce your candidacy when you've been the governor on the other side of the country, but you go there to make a statement and a statement he made and it it, it worked. It it got him two terms, but um, no support from from one. And it's metastasized through our political system. And I thank you for taking my shorthand staccato. Nope. (laughs) I got it. I got it. I just want to make sure the audience understood exactly why you, why you made that reference. Katrina Vandenhoeville is the editorial director and publisher of the nation magazine. I, uh, adore her. Always uh, welcome her commentary to this program. Katrina, we'll do it again. All the best to you. Take care. Hope so. Thank you, Tavis. All right.